Hello and welcome to another awesome episode of The Best Version of You. Today I am very, very privileged to bring you an amazing guest. He's currently residing in Portugal where he lives, uh, Mr. James Goulding. James, how you doing, mate? Very well, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on. Guys uh, and girls, a bit about James. James is a pro cyclist. Uh, he's also an inspirational speaker. And I wanted to get him on the show, uh, especially at a time like this when a lot of people are in isolation and really don't know what the future holds with the whole COVID-19 situation. Um, as James has unfortunately gone through large periods of isolation in the past due to um, illnesses and conditions uh, and also tragic accidents. Um, but he's now here with us today and as a Daily Mirror describes him, he is the man that will not die. Uh, as horrible as that sounds, he's, he's overcome so many problems and hurdles and trauma. Um, but yet he stands here talking to us today uh, to give us his story about everything he's overcome and what you can do to uh, A, be the best version of you, but also during times of trouble and uncertainty like we're in today. So, James, uh, welcome to the show. Obviously, you're in Portugal nowadays where you reside. Um, previous to your time in Portugal, obviously, you're from rugby in England. Um, where, where where did you go to school? Did you go to school there? And have you, did you live there all your life? How, how did you... Yeah, so, no, I was... I grew up in... Um, I grew up in a small town called Daventry um, in Northamptonshire, which is um, just outside of Northampton. It's kind of in between Northampton and rugby. Um, it's, um, it's a funny little town, um, but I, um, I grew up there. So I lived in a village just outside of Daventry and then I went to school in Daventry, um, a place called Daintree, but I left school at 14. Um, I, I'm dyslexic. Um, but back in the day that meant lazy and disruptive. Um, They've probably got a new terminology, new terminology for it now, but I kind of, I just refused to go to school and various problems. Mum would take me to school, but I could get home. I could get through. Mum used to have to take me into school, sign a register at reception, and I used to have to sign as well to say that she'd drop me off. But I could get through the school, across the field, home, changed and out on my bike again um, before she could actually drive home from the school. So um, we, we did that for a little while. Yeah, Mum would drop me off at school and um, she used to have to sign a register. I used to have to sign a register. Um, but I could get through the school, across the field, home and changed and out the door again before mum could drive home. So um, we did that for a little while before mum um, and the school then agreed that I could leave school early on the basis that I did an apprenticeship. Um, I learned a trade as being a plasterer originally and then um, went into a state agency when I was about 18 and that was when I moved out of Daventry and moved over to rugby and Stayed in rugby ever since until last year, where we where we moved over here. Well, wow, and uh, what point did you actually get into cycling? Um, I used to race mountain bikes as a kid. Um, I, I got into mountain bikes when I was um, about eleven years old. That was when I bought my first kind of mountain bike, which was a Kona Fire Mountain. Um, saved up, washed cars, did everything I could to earn enough money to to be able to buy this bike. Um, and I bought that just after my 11th birthday. Um, and then I, I stopped riding bikes uh, around 18. I smashed my shoulder up and was then in the position of having to get a uh, proper job. Um, so that was, that was when I then went off and did some other things. But um, at 18, I stopped riding. I didn't go anywhere near a bike until then coming out of hospital um, after cancer. Oh, wow. And obviously the cancer itself, um, obviously, can you take the listeners back to that point when um, you obviously found out, if you don't mind, and then how that sort of journey like led from there? Yeah, um, I think I, I went through, um, I went through this kind of really, I went through this kind of really what now for me seems like a strange period because I went through probably 10 years of my life of trying to be who I thought everybody wanted me to be, to be able to succeed and do, and, and to, to achieve anything in life, um, to then um, being diagnosed when I was 28 with a 11 and a half centimetre tumour wedged between my oh. spine, kidney and bowel. 
that just came from from back pain and just not really feeling comfortable at all to going and see a chiropractor. I mean, that's quite a long, there's quite a long-winded explanation to that, but the long and short of it is that I went to see the doctor several times and was told there was nothing wrong with me. Um, standard. It was muscle pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, to, did, you, did you see an army doctor by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but being told there was nothing wrong with me and slowly the painkillers were getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Yeah. Um, to then being told that, uh, well, to then going and seeing a chiropractor to being told, actually, I was in the fittest shape he'd ever seen me in um to finally going back to the doctors and seeing a different doctor to then getting some action um the action was very very slow uh mum got on the case which kind of sped things up a little bit um you know if there's ever a problem get mum to get involved and that normally yeah. kind of moves things along a bit quicker um to then all of a sudden being wheeled into hospital by my mum um on the 11th of november 2008 to on the 13th of November 2008 being diagnosed with a 11 and a half centimeter abnormal mass wedged between my spine, kidney and bowel. So, you know, if you, when you kind of, the best way I describe it to a lot of people is if you, when people say, well, how big is 11 and a half centimeters? And you kind of say, well, if you can imagine either a big grapefruit yeah, or you can imagine one that, yeah. of the small rulers you used to have at school, then it's just a little bit smaller than that. You know, mm. it's, it's quite a lump, but it was unoperable because of where it was. Um, a few weeks after that, I was diagnosed with what's called a primary repetineal seminoma, um, which is a fast-growing tumour which um, originated from a lymph node. Um, but because of where it was, it was unoperable, so we had to go down a chemotherapy route. So by now, we're kind of edging towards um, three weeks into November 2008. Um, three lots of chemotherapy. Um, a week on chemo with three uh, three weeks in between, um, and then we would see where we were going from there. Um, I spent Christmas in isolation because of my red blood cell count and being so infectious to anything. So no visitors, um, no um, nothing in the room apart from essentials. Nurses would come and see me. If I did have visitors, they would have to be um in scrubs and cleaned and disinfected and all that kind of stuff um, um to then by feb sorry yeah i was gonna say did uh did did santa come on uh christmas eve or no. oh, he didn't even come either <laughs> no no he didn't no no he didn't he didn't come and visit um so but one of my best friends he he was going through a pretty rough time he spent a lot of time with me which was which was quite nice um, but by February 2009, I'd gone from 14 stone to six um, oh, yeah. and had lost the ability to walk. So I'm, I'm six foot three and a half, six foot four. Um, and um, yeah, I'd gone down to six and a half stone in weight, lost the ability to walk and was being rushed into emergency surgery where uh, four doctors spent six hours trying to save my life at midnight on a Friday to then be then spending a further two weeks in an induced coma in intensive care um, to then coming out of intensive uh, coming out of intensive care after about four days of them waking me up um, onto um, go basically going from intensive care no windows no food cart no news trolley um, one nurse per patient to then being moved onto a ward which was two patients per nurse um, and as I say six still six stone unable to lift my own head off the pillow and faced with a challenge of relearning to walk. Wow. And, um, but I mean, that challenge in itself, that whole relearning to walk, what, what sort of length of time was it before you really started to kind of real, make some gains, make some real steps? Well, I couldn't even move my legs. I couldn't, I, I couldn't move my legs. I couldn't, the only thing I could do was wiggle my toes. And at one point I could barely lift my own head off the pillow. So, um, it was, it was a process of, it would be very easy for me to sit here and talk to you guys now and make it sound as if there was some big grand master plan of how I was going to recover and how I was going to get better. But that's, that's not, that's not the case by any stretch of the imagination. The only reason that any of this came up, the, the way that I talk about it now became, came about was because over a period of time of going through the challenges and things that I did, we, I kind of realized that there was a bit of a pattern going on here. And um, I think I was more, I was more aware of my emotions, but also my ability and how we'd actually achieve things in life over time. So um, I, 
I concentrated on, and I was in, I was in a hospital bed, as I say, unable to kind of get up and move around or do anything. My mum would come and see me every day. Um, I'd got nothing to do. So I concentrated on the things that I was able to do rather than thinking about the things that I wanted to do. Mm. Again, it wasn't, I don't think this was a conscious thought whilst I was in hospital, but it's something that I, I realized looking back on it. Yeah, of course. Um, and I could wiggle my toes. So I wiggled my toes and I could lift my hands up. So I lifted my hands up and I could move the bed to be able to sit up to then being able to sit down. So, you know, it took three nurses to be able to get me to sit on the edge of the bed, but there were certain things I could do. So I concentrated on doing them. And then over a period of time, um, other things started to happen. So I'd break each day down into um, being given, being woken up in the morning by the nurses to having your breakfast, to having your medication, to watching something on telly, which at the time, and my wife always has a little laugh and takes the mick out of me, but at the time was Jeremy Kyle. <laughs> it was it's true but you know it was these things that were on telly to just break each day down and, and to, to break that monotonous of just laying there not being able to do anything um and once i started wiggling my toes then i started to be able to move my feet and once i was moving my hands i could lift my hands to slowly but surely starting to get a little bit more movement back in things to the point that you know one day i'd one day in the evening, I tried to move my leg and I moved, I moved one leg. I couldn't move the other one, but I moved one of them to it going from three nurses to get me to the edge of the bed to one nurse to eventually, you know, what I've missed out here is when I say the three nurses getting me to the edge of the bed, part of that was because when I woke up in intensive care, I'd got 45 stitches in my stomach that run just from just below my pelvic bone, right the way up and to, into the, the dip of your rib cage. Mm. Um, they'd brought my bowel out onto the surface. Um, they'd moved my stomach muscles across and brought my bowel out onto the surface. Because oh, yeah. what actually happened was a feed tube that eroded through the back of my bowel. So there was a hole effectively in my bowel and everything that was being pumped into me was sitting in my cavity. Everything that I was eating was coming out of the hole. Now, they, there was no point in them trying to repair that because of how poorly I was. It would have just fallen apart again inside of me. Mm. So they brought it up. Um, so I'd got my bowel on the surface. I'd got two tubes in my left-hand side. I'd got two tubes in my right-hand side. There was two cannulas in each arm. So the nurses moving me thing was predominantly due to the fact that there were machines all around me keeping me alive. And I think actually there may have been a picture in in the um, in the express or in the in the mail, and the, you can actually see a picture of me in hospital and the amount of machines that were were around me keeping me alive. So wow. that was the reason why it took so many nurses to move me, but you know, I'd focus on the doctor saying, right, we're going to take that tube out tomorrow and see how we go. So I'd focus on that tube coming out. And as soon as that tube would come out, I'd say, well, when's that coming out? And the first time I stood up was for 10 seconds before I blacked out um, because I hadn't stood up for such a yeah, long yeah, period. Of to then standing up again the next day and managing to stand up for a little bit longer before I blacked out. Um, to standing up and at 28 years old, standing up with the use of a Zimmer frame to the 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 um, physio then taking that Zimmer frame away from me and saying, you've got two choices, follow me or hit the deck. And, and I followed her, um, mm -hmm. you know, and slowly but surely I, I broke these things down. And for me, it was to walk to the end of the bed. My My main goal really was to be able to get from the bed to the bathroom. I just wanted to go to the, as, as strange as it sounds and, and, it, and it's, you know, people would say, what was your main goal? You know, what did you really want to do when you were in that situation? I wanted to go to the toilet on my own. Yeah. That, yeah. That was it. I, uh, I just wanted to go to the toilet on my own. Yeah. I'll tell, tell you here where you're going from. Yeah. You know, without somebody, without somebody watching me or passing me a pan or, you know, I've got at 28 years old, I've got my mum wiping my ass, mm. you know, and, that it was just to be able to go to the bathroom on my own. That was what I wanted to be able to do. Um, and I, and I achieved that goal, um, which in some respects, um, at the time, I think I was probably a bit numb to it, but I still can see that person looking back at me in the mirror and I hadn't seen, I didn't know what I looked like. I was, you know, I, I was still just me. Mm. Um, but to actually get into the bathroom and stand there and see that person looking back at me was like, well, okay. But my goal changed from being in the bathroom to being able to walk to the nurse's counter just outside the door to then being to, right, I'm going to walk off this ward 
Um, I still speak to my surgeon now every every year without fail. I speak to him a couple of times a year probably, but without fail, 24th of February every year, we get on a call. Um, oh, that's awesome. Um, um, wherever I am in the world, wherever he is, 24th of February, we have, we have a chat. Um, we had... We strangely we had some quite good times, you know. Um, mm. We had some interesting debates, yeah. um, like coming out coming out of surgery and being on um, fluids only because you're not allowed anything to eat. To then having a discussion with him that ice cream and chocolate are actually fluids. Um, <laughs> they maintain a, a solid state in certain environments, but technically yeah. speaking, they're fluids. Um, did you so, get that, uh, Did you get into that argumentative state from watching too much Jeremy Cole? <laughs> Probably. I think I've always been I've always been argumentative like that. That's not that wasn't a new thing. That was just, just something that was probably enhanced. I think that's the, the point really was that I, I always kind of pushed that boundary a little bit more. It was, you know, when I started eating again, I was only allowed to eat mashed potato and gravy, so I'd still send my mum to Nando's. You know, oh, and, yeah. and it was it was just kind of going a little bit more you know and for want of one-liners and everything you know Arnie always used to say do one more rep that was how he he looked at his competitions was if he'd got 15 reps to do of an exercise he'd do 16 he'd just do one more hmm. you know and 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 I say that to people now when I talk about riding a bike if you can ride five miles you can ride six in fact if you can ride five miles you can ride 50 miles hmm. you know how how you feel over that 50 miles and how long it takes you will vary depend between your level of fitness. But ultimately, if you can ride one mile, you can go on to do it. And if you can run one mile, you can run two, three, four, five. Um, although I don't run because I look like a chicken, cartoon chicken, head forward, ass out, <laughs> legs <around. laughs> my, my, my missus is going to be listening to this and she's probably laughing her head off at me right now because I, I run really similar. She knows exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> That's why I've never been a, like, a distance runner. No, I stick to what I'm strong at, swimming and riding a bike, but swimming's taking a back seat whilst I'm, whilst I'm doing the things I am. Yeah. Um, and obviously with everything you went through and those, especially those periods of isolation, um, we talked before we went live on the show, but about obviously you've been through many forms of isolation before so mm. um people that are going through it right now although we're only we are in essence only been asked to stay at home and wash our hands because that is it isn't it really um yeah you know like what kind of yeah I mean, like without making it like you know like a chess beating contest like what kind of message would you have for, for the general population um other than stay at home wash your hands uh, <laughs> but, you know, routine's your routine's your friend yeah routine is your friend I like um, we 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 all we all say that we don't like routine, and we all say that we don't have routine. Um, but actually, every single one of us has a routine. Um, we sometimes struggle to maintain it for long periods, but routine is your friend. And I think um, what you, I was talking to a couple of guys this week, and something that I said to them is that at the moment, you almost need to turn your house into your town. So. Um, appreciate the area that you have and use different parts of it at different times throughout the day. Um, and somebody told me after I'd said about this, they, they said, oh, there was a guy who did a, a, a YouTube video or something in Italy. And every morning, um, you know, he was still getting up at the same time. And, th and this is the point really is get up at the same time, have your breakfast as you would do. If you get a coffee on the way to work in the morning, rather than having one at home, still make the coffee and go and sit in a certain part of the house before you then go to where it is that you would go to do your day's work. Mm. And apparently this guy in Italy was getting up, doing that routine, and he'd put his coat on every morning, and he'd say, see you later, darling. And he'd walk out the front door, and he'd walk around the back of the house, and he'd come in the back, and he'd come in the back door, Brilliant. and then get a coffee, and he'd then go and sit at the desk and carry on with his day's work. Mm. But that was just what he did every day mm. to be able to break it down. And, you know, don't sit in the same part of your house all day doing the same thing every day because mm -hmm. that will really get boring. Yes. You know, if you, if you've got certain parts, if you've got the facility to do it, understandably not everybody has the ability to walk around the garden or go and do different things because they, they live in different houses. But you know, when I was in a room, um, I would sit on the chair in the corner of the room for however many hours a day and I'd watch the telly there. I'd then sit in bed and watch the telly there or 
I'd go and have a shower or maybe I'd have two showers a day rather than one shower a day or maybe even three showers a day if just to break that day up. Mm. But it was, it was, it's about going back to the current situation. It's about creating an environment that works for you within what you've got. Yeah. So you want to sit in the kitchen for four hours in the morning and work, but you're used to working in different locations. Then maybe going to the bedroom in the afternoon to do a couple of hours is going to be better to Mm. going into the lounge or sitting in one corner of the lounge for a certain period of time, but then sitting in a different corner of the lounge for the other. It's just about routine is your friend um, and developing a routine over the next couple of weeks will be slightly boring, but it will really help um, deal with the monotony of what's going on. And I said this morning, you know, we've got two kids at home. One's two, one's eight. One goes one direction and one goes the other direction. Um, Louise is kind of split between the two and I've been trying to go out and do some training um, with what I'm allowed to do but I haven't been able to really do that Um, and every day feels like it really drags but all of a sudden we're at the weekend and it feels like Monday was yesterday Mm, yeah of course yeah definitely you know um, so I think when I was in isolation we didn't have Netflix we didn't have Amazon we didn't have now TV we didn't have iPhones, you know, I'd got um, a hospital TV that was as much as a small mortgage on a daily basis, um, and and that was it. Um, there was no visitors, there was nobody coming in to see me. Um, routine is your friend. Use what you've got around you to be able to break those days up, um, and actually, you know, use different parts of your house to be different parts of your life. Um, your lounge is now your mum and dad's house or where you go and sit for a coffee or the coffee shop, the kitchen is one thing, the lounge is another. And mm-hmm. I think that will make life a lot, lot easier to be able to get through the next, next few weeks. Well, I think um, obviously for yourself being in Portugal, um, it's generally nicer weather there anyway, uh, rather than med. Oh, yeah, it hasn't been, it hasn't been, it's been in, in general. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is, it's in general, but yeah, the yeah. last week or so, mate, it's been, um, there's been a lot of rain. There's been a lot of, I mean, we, it's it's the other night when they announced the full lockdown in the UK Monday night. You you couldn't see any of the hotels over on the coast. You, it just everything just went black. And this cloud really? came across, and it was kind of like this is a this is a bit strange. Oh, um, yeah, but yeah. generally, yeah, the, the the weather is a bit better. Yeah, and like I mean, I think we've been quite lucky here in this first week of isolation because in England it's literally rained constantly. Um, like it's been ridiculous uh, and caused a lot of businesses, especially like civil engineers and groundworks and all that stuff to sort of always shut up shop before the coronavirus yeah. even started um, because yeah, yeah. they couldn't get any work. But, and this first week has been really, really nice. And going back to what you were saying earlier about uh, what people have at their disposal uh, in first world countries like ours, uh, you know, iPhones, Netflix, uh, Disney Channel have just launched, like all that kind of stuff. It's unbelievable. Even like doing what we're doing now, we're, you know, recording this via Zoom. We just don't get, well, people in general just don't get how lucky we are and how much we've actually got at our disposal to use to our advantage, like all day, every yeah. day. Um, and it's, it's I nice, think if, you know, nice I don't, I don't think well. we want to be, oh, totally. I don't, I don't think we want to be, um, I don't think we want to be picking the good things out of this situation at the moment, but if, if, you know, maybe people will start to appreciate actually what they do have at their disposal off the back of this. Um, maybe, um, maybe there will be a change in, in habits. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be tough, but actually if we look at our, um, we look at our predecessors and what they've been through to provide us with what we've got now, um, with this is this this isn't anything that we can even hold in comparison um, to to what other other generations have gone through before us. Yeah, and it's uh, I only posted the other day that uh, my granddad, who's a is an absolute legend, war hero. He's uh, been on so many BBC programs and that. Uh, he's ninety he's ninety seven uh, in a couple of days, and for the first time in years, I can't go in and physically give him a present um yeah he's having to isolate as well because of his age and vulnerability and stuff like that only one person can go around and see him um yeah and it's it's really frustrating uh, and then you know i can't talk to him on the phone because his hearings are you know he's gone and he can't understand who it is 
all I want to do yeah. is talk to him about like what it was like during the wartime for my nan and stuff like that. That was getting blitzed and bombed and we're on rations. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, all this kind of stuff. But yeah, it's quite frustrating not be able to have those conversations with him. But you just know that like to go back to what we said a minute ago, we're just we're just being asked to stay at home and wash our hands. <laughs> so it's uh, we're not on rations yet. Um no. But going back to you and your story, uh, obviously, when you started to walk again, you had you know, your recovery was going really well. Um, when you left that hospital for, let's say, let's say your your last major appointment before you went yeah. out to the big bad world, back on your own again, um, what was that? What was that feeling like? You know, was it just like a huge weight off your shoulders, or was it like a massive sense of achievement? No. Um, no, it was, it was, it's really strange to be able to explain it really. Um, the difficulty that you, the difficulty that you get from being in that situation is that you're in such high, you have such high intense care and so many people looking after you that all of a sudden you're back to normal um, and you're on your own. Mm. And that's something that I've done a lot with Macmillan or I did a lot with Macmillan um, a lot of cancer patients suffer with um, a kind of an abandonment feeling um, post cancer care because you are under such intense treatment whilst you're going through it that then you're told you're all right and you need to go back to normal. But then normal now looks very, very different. And I think in some respects, looking back at it, I was probably slightly lucky because actually when I first came out of hospital, I was then an outpatient. So I was still going back into the hospital quite regularly. I was still um, engaged with a couple of the surgeons. I was still engaged with my consultant and I was still seeing people that was there. Mm. Um, and then I went back in for my final op, um, which was to put my bowel and everything back in. Um, and I went in for that, I think around the end of May. No, that was beginning, beginning or middle of June. I went back in for that operation to, to put everything back together. Um, and I went back in for everything to be put back together and, and it was then after that that I had some more scans and I came back out and I went in for a checkup and it was then that I was told that I was okay, which was the 25th of July. So I was told that I was, um, that I was okay and the scans showed no signs of the tumour increasing or getting any bigger, um, which was, which again, I didn't tell anybody. When, when I got that news, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't say anything to anybody until I then spoke to a friend of mine and I told her on the phone and she plastered it all over Facebook, and then it just went crazy from there. There was wow. comments galore and people talking about it, and I went out that night, and everybody was like, oh, I've seen your Facebook, congratulations. And I, I kind of didn't really, I didn't really think much of it. I didn't, it was, it was, it was kind of part of the process, but then there was a very, then after that, there was the kind of the going back to normal, but not knowing what normal now looked like to... Mm. Um, trying to go out partying and doing stuff and spending time with the people who weren't my friends but thought were my friends prior to being ill, um, mm. but they weren't there whilst I was ill. But now all of a sudden that we were going out and doing stuff, they then wanted to be part of that again and wanted to do all those things, you know. Yeah. Um, but then I didn't want to. I, I then it wasn't until shortly after that we got a we, we got we got a visitor. <laughs> um, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't until shortly after that that um, I kind of sat there one Sunday morning and went, "This isn't. This isn't right. This isn't going back to normal. This isn't. This doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I'm going out and I'm spending time with people who weren't there for me when I needed them. But now, it's to them. It's like nothing's ever happened. But to me, I feel like I'm." not doing justice to the people that have been there and looked after me. Mm -hmm. Phil Barrow Gwaneth, my surgeon, gave up his family holiday to be able to be there to, to look after me and make sure that, that I was okay in that period of time that he was meant to have been on holiday. He didn't want to leave me with somebody else for a week whilst he went away. So wow. he cancelled his holiday. Oh, yeah. To Charlotte West, who was, who was a nurse that I still keep in touch with now, You know, she was working double shifts because she wanted to make sure she was on a night shift to be able to look after me. Wow. Um, you kind of go this doesn't seem right. So that was where, that was where the original ride across America came from, mm. um, which was to ride from LA to Miami 
um, to raise money to be able to give back to the, to them. Yeah, really to, to support Macmillan because Macmillan had supported me and Charlotte and Phil had supported me at the same time. So the idea was um, was to do a charity ride, but I couldn't find anything. Um, I couldn't for me. I couldn't find anything that was big enough that kind of had any um, anything on the the magnitude of what I'd been through. Um, and then I then I came across riding from um, Los Angeles to Miami, which was three thousand five hundred miles, um, with the idea of finishing in Miami a year to the day after being told that the tumor was getting smaller, which was the twenty fifth of July. Um, but I could only ride five miles around the local resi, so I, I did five miles around the local reservoir and did that a few times, and then started telling everybody I was going to ride across America to then having to ride across America because I've told everybody I was going to do it. Um, yeah. So that was, that was where the idea of raising £100,000, spend my 30th birthday in Austin, Texas, 4th of July, um, and then got hit by a truck six days after that, just outside New Orleans. That's, um, that's crazy. I was still further ahead than I was. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is, but I, I was still further ahead. Being hit by a truck laying by the side of the road I was still further ahead than I was when I came out of hospital <laughs> yeah but again coming out of hospital I broke that down into goals I broke that mm. <laughs> I, I, I broke you know coming out of hospital I broke that down into goals of walking into town and getting something to eat to walking home and then sleeping you know 28 years old living with your mum and your nan your recovery accelerates yeah and he was uh, he, he was riding around America and um, he was knocked off his bike as well and uh, he was his, his journey was part of riding around the whole world and um, right. I don't know if it's something that maybe uh, America needs to look at and have our think think bike adverts over there because it seems to be a bit of a trend with uh, guys getting knocked off their bikes. Uh, Mark Beaumont was knocked off his bike when he first went round. James Cracknell was knocked off his bike a week after me. Um, I think Sean Conway was knocked off his bike. Either Sean Conway or Vin Cox was knocked off over there as well so there's, there's yeah it's happened quite a lot I mean I, I do kind of I do kind of get how it happens in some respects because you know they're big long straight roads um, they get on the road they stick it on cruise control and they've got these big wallowing trucks you know if you've ever driven an American vehicle they're, they're not the best for handling by any stretch of the imagination it's huge aren't they you know yeah um, so it, it takes a, a slight movement for this thing to kind of sway around a little bit and, and cause a problem. So I do kind of, do kind of get it, but at the same time, I, 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 I don't get it. So, yeah. um, you know, it was when I went back, um, it was, it was a lot better the time I went back and you could notice that there was a difference, but I'm not sure whether that's, that's improved any or not since. Yeah. And just like Josh, he's got to go pretty much go back to where he finished off and then finish off the leg from America back to, the UK um, to do his well, whole run of world. See, I was, I was in that situation of where um, I wanted to go back and, yeah, yeah, see, I was in that situation. I wanted to go back and start from where I'd been knocked off my bike. But then I kind of, in my head, I realised that I still wouldn't have ridden across America. Mm. I, I'd have ridden from LA to New Orleans and then from New Orleans to Miami. So I went back six months later and I did the whole thing again. Mm -hmm. um, just me, a mate, driving an RV and... Uh, and I did it 10 days quicker than originally planned. We planned to do it in 34 days first time round. Um, but then second time round, I managed to get it done in, in 24. Um, found out Louise was pregnant on the way over. Oh, um, wow. Got a phone call from her just over halfway through and told me that we were expecting a baby. I was told I'd never be able to have kids. And she was told she'd never be able to have kids. Holy so it was, um, it was, it was, a, that was difficult for me to cope with. I didn't really know how to deal with that because I put it out of my head, the idea of ever being able to have children to now being told that I was having children. Mm. Um, so that was, that was a bit strange. But then when I got back from America, um, a couple of months after being back, I got diagnosed for a second time with, a, with another tumour. So um, it was kind of roll your sleeves up again time. Bloody hell. That's unreal. And um, what was, uh, was the tumour that you were diagnosed with in the same place? The second one was the same type of tumour, but it was on the other side. 
Right. So it wasn't. Uh, it, it was. It was just a, another lymph node that had gone, um, and turned into a into a cancerous tumor. But again, my thinking on this was okay. This one's the size of a ping pong ball. The last one was the size of a grapefruit. So it ain't going to be as bad as it was first time round. They yeah. know about it a lot sooner. So I maintained the plans that I'd got. I still did the Great North Swim, the Great. Uh, the, the Lake Windermere swim. So I did one in Manchester, one in Windermere, and one in London, which were part of the Great Swim series. Um, I did um, the Caledonia Tap, which was a, a ride from Macmillan. I then went and did uh, the London to Paris with a company called Hot Chili, which was 300 miles over three days. Um, I then did... We Freddie was due to be born on the 23rd of September. And I went out to Annecy to do um, the what's called the Alpine Challenge, um, which was um, an event over three days climbing six Tour de France climbs. And wow. I did that the Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I flew home on the Monday. I had the tumor removed. Sorry, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I flew home on the Sunday and I had the tumor removed on the Monday. Freddie was born. 12 days later on the 24th i started chemo two weeks after that and then i started radiotherapy two weeks after that Bloody and on. i did did radiotherapy every day for for three months but yeah uh, so that three month period like i only imagine it would have been you know extremely tiring um having seen a friend going through radiotherapy for cancerous tumor in his in his arm um, yeah. it absolutely knocked him for six every time. Like, so was that like a, a really, really difficult time? I can only imagine. Yeah, it was, it was really difficult, but it, again, it wasn't, and it sounds a bit repetitive, but again, it wasn't as difficult as it was for the first time around. The first time I was in hospital for a week, I doing a full week on chemotherapy. I couldn't eat anything. I lost weight. I'd lost all my taste buds to then being in a situation of where I was having my treatment, but I was going home every day. Mm. Um, I was tired. I didn't have any energy, but I still did the things that I would, I'd always been doing. I still went swimming. I still rode my bike. Um, the only problem was I wasn't able to swim or ride my bike in the way that I wanted to be able to swim or ride my bike. Mm. But you have to rationalize that and say, well, you, but you're still doing it. You know, you're, still, you're still moving forwards. You're just not moving forwards at the pace that you're used to or with the ability that you want to be able to do it with. But you're still here. You're still doing it. Mm. Um, and I think that process went on for that went on for another good six or seven months afterwards. You know, you'd, I'd go out and do a big ride with a group that I used to ride with, and I'd be absolutely blowing. And I'd get home and I'd feel really down. But then I'd go, "Hold on a second, I've only it was only eight weeks ago. I was having chemotherapy or radiotherapy." You kind of we always we're always pushing to want to be further ahead than we are, to be better than we are, to be. You know, well, I'm not quick enough. But on me, you weren't doing anything six weeks ago, mm. but now you're doing this. And mm. I think that's what we, we all struggle with that. And that's why I think that's why so many people give up on their challenges is because they forget, actually, they don't contextualize where they were, where they are now, um, and actually um, what they've already had to do to get to where they are. You know, we forget. So a line that I always use is that every single one of us has had to drag ourselves across the floor to be able to pick ourselves up, to then fall over, to drag ourselves across the floor, to find a piece of furniture to pick ourselves up, to then fall over. And we did that repeatedly over and over and over again. Now we call it walking. But the thing is, we did that when we were eight or nine months old. We had no knowledge. We had no experience. We had nobody... We couldn't understand the tools that we were being given or being told to do it, yet our instinct was to do it, and we did it. So when it now comes to doing a run or a walk or a cycle or a swim, you know, if you do one length today and you did nothing yesterday, and tomorrow you do two lengths, and the next day you do one length, you're still further ahead than you were three days ago, mm, where you yeah, did nothing. You know, but we don't, people don't look at it that way. No. They're looking at it like, oh, I want to do 5K, but I can't run 5K, so I'm just not going to bother. Yeah. No, no, I totally agree with you. What says that you've got this God-given right to just be able to do what you want to do? You, didn't, you weren't able to do anything. There isn't anything that you will do today or tomorrow that you haven't learned to do and refined how you do it over a certain period of time. Yeah. 
totally agree. And it's, um, this is why I call the podcast what I called it as in the best version of you. You know, we've, we've all got the ability to be the best version of ourselves. And, you know, you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head then when uh, by doing things in stages. Uh, and that's what all we need to do is just doing something tomorrow that is better than how we did something today. It doesn't need to be overcoming a fear as in like scared of heights. Oh, I need to jump out of a plane. It's, uh, it's just, you know, it's just taking little baby steps, exactly how you uh, described there. Um, and looking how you can sort of adjust, adapt and overcome a fear, for example, or look at something that you uh, did previously that you could do better tomorrow. Uh, it could be something, it's just a simple decision. Oh, but we've done it with everything, whether it comes to eating, whether it's how you use a knife and fork, whether it's how you paint a room, or how you wash the car, how you wash yourself, how you get dressed. I think, I believe that everybody should, everybody's capable of achieving anything that they want to. Mm. That's why my strap line is one step at a time. One step at a time, we can achieve anything that we want. I believe that our goal should be huge. It should be as big as you want it to be. And that's fine. And that goal is achievable providing you are logical of the steps of which you want to take to be able to achieve it. Yeah, of course. And being honest with yourself about where you are now. So where are you now in terms of what, of, of achieving that goal? So let's, let's say that the 10 is 10 is your goal, whatever it is, 10 is your goal. And where are you now? And if you ask most people where they are now, they'd say, I'm a four. No, you're not. You're a two. No, I'm a four. No, you're a two. And there's a reason why you were two. And you are too, because everybody thinks they're actually really better than they are with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but also, if you, you might be a three, but actually, if you start off at a two, then what you're setting yourself in terms of goals are going to be easily achieved. If you're, actually, if, if you, if you're saying you're a four, really you're a three, but you're starting off at a two, then you're going to be able to achieve those goals and those tasks relatively easily, which is going to keep you pepped up. It's going to keep you focused. It's going to keep you engaged in what you're doing. Hmm. If you're saying that you're a four and you're starting off at a four, but you're really a three, then you're going to be very disheartened very, very quickly. Yeah. And you're going to give up on your goal because you're, you're not achieving the things that you're setting yourself. So it enables you to get that process underway. You know, and if you find yourself on a six, but all of us, you know, you're on a six and then you drop back to a five, you're still further ahead than you were when you were a two. And I think you, you know, you're always going to take, you should, you should always take a step back. You know, with my training at the moment, you know, we're pushing forward. I've got, I'm doing three week blocks, which are absolutely savage. Um, but then I've got an easy week. And within that easy week, um, I use something called training peaks. Um, and Dino that will probably end up listening to this will be absolutely in hysterics when he's like, Golding's talking numbers because I hate numbers. <laughs> but, you know, it kind of, your fitness level will go up over that three weeks and over that next week, your fitness will drop off. Mm. But it has to drop off for it to then be able to go up again to be higher than it was at the beginning of the first three weeks. Yeah, of course. You know, so, you, you know there's all the, the old sayings, you know, you never climb straight to the top of a mountain. You go up, you come down, you go up a bit more, you come down you, and you, 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 you ladder your way up it. Yeah. And, and that's what's really important moving forward. And I think people need to, to, be a little bit more, um, you know, I spoke to a guy this morning who, um, who isn't going to be able to take part in a race that he wants to. And he, you know, I'm saying, but hold on a second. Okay. You're not going to be able to do it, but you, and he, he sounded a bit down on the phone, but I'm kind of like, look, you need to, you need to remember how far you've already come to be able to get to the point of being able to even think about taking part in this race. Yeah. You know, you, you've overcome so much in the last few years. You know, he's like, oh, you know, I'm nearly 50. And I'm like, there's a guy I know turned 60 on the race last year. Well, yeah, but, you know, but I don't think I'll make, I, you know, I don't think my body's going to allow me to do it. And that's because your head's telling you your body's not going to be allowed to do it. Mm -hmm. If you keep telling your body that it's got to do it, it will be able to do it. Yeah. Um, we, we give up too easily when the part of the problem for that and, is that we live in a very throwaway mentality. Yep. You know, if the phone doesn't work, I'll get a new one. If the car doesn't work, I'll get a new one. If the relationship's not working, well, why should we work at it? I'll just get a new one. And, yep. and everything is so disposable that, um, that we don't ever kind of knuckle down and work through it. And I, I've, 
I'm no different to anybody else in in terms of what I've achieved or what I hope to go on to achieve. I've just been through certain things that have made me look at life a bit differently. I'm not looking at it. I'm not gained any special powers out the back of what I've been through. Um, we've we've all been we've all been through the same. Okay, I've 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 had cancer a couple of times and been hit by a truck, but essentially what came out the back of me going through cancer is at 28 years old, I had to relearn how to walk. I had to relearn how to eat. I had to relearn how to move. The only difference between me and that is my age gap. We all had to learn how to walk, learn how to eat, learn how to get dressed, learn how to move. We all had to learn how to do all of those things, but we did it between the ages of naught and two or three years old. And now we have no memory of doing it. Yeah. And we take, those things for granted yeah, we so do. i have to learn how to do them but i've not done anything different to what anybody else has already done mm. no I, I totally hear what you're saying and it's um go, uh, going back to what's going on at the moment uh, especially here in the uk uh you know the importance of social distancing you know you're, you're seeing pictures and everything come up all the time of people still teenagers still hanging out in large groups or people having barbecues and stuff like that yeah it is really stupid um it, they're not taking it seriously um but i think that's also the generation we live in where people don't take members of parliament mps and the prime minister seriously but they're listening to influent influencers i use that term lightly yeah, on, yeah. on instagram uh footballers and stuff like that. and i think the country's getting better at getting them told people to get the message across but those groups of people clearly haven't been through something in their life you know even half of it, like what you've done or re any real type of adversity which involved any isolation or lost someone close to them in a traumatic fashion for example they've just not experienced any of that so they take it no. all for granted um yeah. you know i was talking about it this morning uh, and on some calls yesterday uh, you know being in Af afghanistan and sleeping next to a, a mud wall for you know six months and you know like i talked to my son he, he I said, you FaceTime your girlfriend every night, mate. I was like, your mum was lucky if she got 20 minutes a week phone call out of me when I was away yeah, for six, six months. And, and it's just, and, and same as all the other guys and girls that have been on operations and that. Um, but again, we, I've experienced that. I've, I've, I've experienced, you know, friends committing suicide and people, being, my guys being killed and people being killed around me. I've experienced that. So this whole situation, I, I think, is relatively straightforward. And what we were saying off camera, uh, it's, yeah. it's literally the perfect time to reinvent yourself uh, and not look at what you can't do at the minute, but what you can do uh, and what you've got total control of. Uh, and yeah. that, that, that total control involves, like you just said, bettering yourself. Look at yourself and like where you are now. Are you a two or a three? Where can I get to by, potentially by the end of this? Um, you know, can I get to an eight at this? You know, can I start an online course to better myself? Uh, there's so many things that we can do all around us. Uh, you know, we've got everything in the palm of our hand. It's just, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just unbelievable. And yeah, that that mentality, that throwaway mentality, I'm hoping uh, decreases in a lot of people after the end of this period that we're going through right now. Um, yeah. But I think I, what's really important with with your with your goals and and what you set yourself out to achieve as well. I think what's really important is that you share those with people. Yes. You share them, you share them with whether it's whether it's an academic goal, whether it's a career goal, whether it's a physical goal, um, what, you know, whatever that is. Um, you know, my whole family is, is is my whole family and my whole crew, everybody we work with is really embedded in the goals that we have set out and that we want to achieve. There's no point in me saying I want to do X if my wife isn't aware of it. My kids aren't aware of it and they understand why I'm doing it. There has to be something for them in it at the same time, or they have to have goals. And don't get me wrong. I was the guy that sat at the back of the, the corporate meeting going goals were whatever. I just want to get on with my job. Who needs goals? Goals yeah. is a load of flannel. Blah, blah. But until you actually need them and you have to use them, you don't realize how important that they become. And actually, once you start to use them, you realize um, how great they can be because, you know, the guys that support me and do the stuff with me, they, they don't get paid for coming on these challenges and events, but they're there because they believe in the goal. They believe in what we're trying to achieve. They believe in what we're doing. 
my wife puts up with me training the way I do because she knows how important that goal is to me. She's part of the team. Yeah. My mum's part of it. My sponsors are part of it. My my product suppliers are part of it. My crew are part of it. And it's it's really important that you share them because also what you're going to find from that is you're going to be able to understand the people that are there to really support you and the ones that would actually prefer to hold you back and keep you in a certain place. Mm. And if they are the ones that hold you back and keep you in a certain place, then you you don't want those people around you. You know, and that's that's one of the hardest things about becoming your better self is actually realizing the that there are people out there that want you to become better, but also there are people around you that don't want you to become better. And you have to ask yourself, why don't they want you to become better? Mm. Um, that's that that's that's probably one of the most difficult things about achieving goals is separating you separating yourself from the people that are holding you back yeah no, i i do i totally agree and it's uh unfortunately that kind of stuff is quite rife in the military it's uh so egotistical uh especially like especially in an all-male unit for example um i was i mean although i was in the in the engineers and we had a few females it's still very much male dominated um mm. and if you know if you were kind of stepped out the norm and you were going on a, like a personal development journey outside of work, you know, the majority of guys and it's quite an alcohol fueled environment as well. The military yeah, yeah. Uh, would often be like, what are you doing that for? Or if you go to a personal development event, it was very much like, what do you want to do that for? Like you need a cuddle or something, mate. And it's just, cause you just got that like real macho egotistical um, yeah. sort of attitude to it. And, and there are a lot of guys that would rather see you fail, you know, and I, I speak on behalf of a lot of veterans that are out, doing amazing things at the moment i see it every day i've had loads on the show and there's still people that are saying to them like that their stuff they're doing is cheesy or it's crap or like yeah, yeah. that they're full of shit or whatever it's uh and they just like but i think we all know deep down um no matter whether it's behind the keyboard or in person that that deep down they're just kind of screaming at themselves aren't they because they're just they can't have what you have or what you're they're not gonna they, they want to do what you're doing but they're just not willing to put in the grind and the work to get there yeah but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of emotional attachment to that you know if you've been you've been surrounded by those guys for such a long period of time and you know or or friends whether male or female have been around you for such a long period of time and you've got memories and stuff with them but now you want to go and achieve something can you feel that they're holding you back mm. from doing that still breaking away from that is is very difficult it's yeah, a lot definitely. easier to, it's a lot easier to give up on that challenge or that goal and stick and stay where you are mm. but you you really do have to move away from it yeah and um what what, what would your advice be to uh people like who are in that sticky position where they they want to go on and do something um but they find themselves in an environment where they're surrounded by a lot of negativity and you know that could all that could be solely from friends and family you know, what would your advice be to people that are in that sort of area? Because oh. they're out there everywhere, aren't they? That you know, there's so many, there's so much unsung talent because people yeah. stayed in that, you know, stayed in that little jail cell almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's, I'm not sure it's an easy one to to answer quickly. I think you've got to you've got to pursue that dream. You've got to make the steps in the right direction. And I think once you, once you start to do it, once you start to talk about it, once you start to tell people, you'll start to attract a new audience of friends and people around you. Mm. So, okay, let's break, this, let's break it down slightly differently. Um, you used to go in, what I used to say to some people actually is, is you used to go into the pub every weekend. You used to go out every weekend. You go out a couple of times during the week and you're with a certain group of people but you want something to change. One way of doing that is you want to do an event, you want to get fit, you want to do a run, but you don't know how that's going to get received. So maybe one way of doing that is by saying that you're going to do it for charity. Um, I'm going to do this for charity. Well, why are you doing that? Well, because it's for a good cause. And once you start to get on that, that, that wagon, so to speak, and you start to run, and then maybe you join the local running club or you're out running or you're going to the gym, you're starting to bump into other people and you're there every Tuesday and Wednesday or every Tuesday, Thursday or Saturday or whatever. And then you start to bump into people who are doing the same thing at the same time. 
your you will probably find that your friendship group shifts anyway. Mm. Yeah, you know, all of a sudden you you go to the pub or whatever, and you kind of like, oh, I'm not not drinking tonight, guys, because I'm I've got a run in the morning because we've got oh well, I've got the marathon in six weeks, or I've got a half marathon next week, which is my step up to go to the marathon. Um, I think you'll probably find that that friendship group sh- starts to shift after a period of time anyway. Um, and you then start to develop friends who are more like-minded. Mm. Um, that makes that transition a whole lot easier. That makes that transition really quite easy to, to deal with mm. um, because you are then meeting up with people you're then that are have made that change. And once you start to tell them why you're doing it and what you've done, you'll probably find that the guy you're running with at the, at the weekend has, has, only, has only been running for six months himself because he was going, oh, no, I used to drink down there every weekend or during the week and I'd go out and do this. But, you know, I just had to stop. I was putting on weight. I was unhealthy. I was, couldn't play with the kids the way I wanted to. I was working. I just needed something that was a bit different. So, and you'll find that there's a lot of similar stories out there. Um, I, I use that analogy uh, that you say there. Um, at a, a football match is a really good one. A big, like, a big stadium where there's a lot of people. And I, I've always been fascinated by people and their traits and just like how the mind works and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I went to a football game pre-season at Cardiff. Uh, so the Cardiff Stadium, the main stadium there, uh, I think it's the Principality Stadium is called, uh, to, watch, to watch Man United versus AC Milan. And there was just loads of football fans there because I think it was a big game and it was in Cardiff. And it was like, I was watching, like, but leading up to the stadium, there's like so many pubs and kickoff was at, uh, it was in the like early after, or late afternoon. And, um, so there's people that have been on the like the piss all day, and I was with my my wife, my son, and his best mate, and they were just like looking around, trying to take it all in. Like all these people were just smashed by the afternoon, and then yeah. I, as I was walking, like you know, as a part of this big herd towards the stadium, you look around, and exactly what you're saying then, like people tend to shift towards like-minded people, and if you see all the lads that are like lagerlouts, chanting a few songs and stuff like that, they're all quite tubby-ish you know they've got a starting to get a bit of a tire uh stuff like that they all like got the same kind of like walk and the way they yeah. the way they speak the language and then you'll have uh you'll have a group of pretty boys who've got like tight t-shirts on got a set of guns on them and they're all pretty fit looking you know what i mean and exactly what you're saying then you like you wouldn't see a sort of group of tubby lager louts with like one guy who's like shredded in the middle walking down the street yeah, yeah. And I've I've always kind of pitched pitched that, noticed that at like large events and stuff. And I said it to my wife while we were there, and she didn't, you know, notice it until I said it. And it's uh, it's exactly what you mean. It's quite poignant. You you attract like-minded people. It's that law of attraction, isn't it? Yeah, I think also it's kind of like um, Lou and I were chatting about this the other week. You know, a lot of a lot of our friends, people that we've met over here and, and people, you know, they'd look at me now and they'd go, oh, you're skinny. You're really skinny at the minute. Mm. But then everybody that I know within the cycling world will turn around and go, you're looking fit. You're looking toned. You, you, you mm. look lean. You look like you're in good shape at the minute. Yeah. And then it's funny how different groups would cast you differently. Mm. A friend of mine, you know, at work, they're telling me skinny, but out on the bike, they call him fatty. Yeah. You know, and it's not meant, it's not meant in a, in a derogatory term. It's just yeah. That, yeah he's one of the bigger guys, you know, because cycling is generally, you, you look at a, a world tour cyclist and they're, they're, they're never very tall and they're always, there's nothing on them. Mm. Um, so to be, to be a big guy riding is quite unusual or the, or, or the way you do it, but you do, you, you will gravitate towards people that are of a, 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 a similar mindset or have similar goals and they will help you along your way and they will help you achieve those goals. But, that that initial separation is is quite difficult to deal with because it's what you know, yeah. you know it's what you've always known it's it's what you've always kind of relied on. But the, the thing is, you know what you also kind of have to ask yourself as well is actually how much can I rely on these people that are telling me I can't do it? Yes. If if there was a real problem, if I'd got a real situation, how many of those people could I ring that would actually be there for me? Yeah. No. Truly. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, and that that's a really good, that's a really good example of of where am I at? Where do I need to be? Um, how much do I mean? It's not how much they mean to you. 
is how much you mean to them mm. um, that should you should be looking at before you make that break. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and I, I really hope that the guys and girls that are listening to that awesome advice you've just given then, you know, that actually helps them make that break if they need to because you hit a lot of nails on the head there. It's fantastic. Um, before we go, um, I always ask my guests uh, if they can answer a simple, pretty straightforward question. Uh, we've got this little time machine here and we want to stick a post-it note in it to 15-year-old James. Um, what, kind of bullet, what bullet points would you put on it uh, as a, a bit of advice to 15 or seven? I use 15 years old because it's like, it's that funny age where you're not quite old enough to do certain things. Um, your hormones are still going all over the place. You, you think you're going to be something that you know is going to turn out to be. Um, and yeah, it's that kind of funny age. Like what, what kind of points of advice would you have for a 15 year old? Mm, I don't know. Um, th- th- just on what you said there. I mean, I was doing most things that I shouldn't have been doing <laughs> at 15. So, um, you know, driving cars, I was kind of driving cars, drinking, kind of drinking, <laughs> you know, I wasn't um, working. I was working. Um, so it, oh, I don't know. Do you know what? I kind of dreaded this question for a long time. Um, nobody's asked me it. What would I stick on a post-it note? Um, I think I would probably, I think my main point would be keep going. Mm. Keep going. Um, because I have kept going. Um, and I say it to people now, just, just keep going. I spoke to a guy the other week who was leaving his job down the road as a tennis coach. Um, and he was a bit unsure of what was going to happen and where it was going to go. And I said, just keep going. You know, um, I'm in a very fortunate, I'm digressing slightly here, but I'm in a very fortunate position now of the goals that we have and the things that we're doing with Race Across America and, and everything else. Um, but it's taken me, it's taken me nine years to get to the point of having the support that I've got. Mm. And I've keep going. There's been times where I've got no money in the bank. Um, or there's or there's money in the bank. There's no expendable money in the bank where I've had to sell stuff that sponsors have given me to be able to pay the mortgage. But I've just kept going. There's been times of where people have said to me, "Are you going to get a proper job?" There's times where people have turned around to Louise and said, "Is, is he still riding a bike? Has he not got a proper job?" Mm. And then the same people would go in and see her when I broke the Guinness World Record, and they would say, "Oh, hasn't he done well?" You know, um, just I think the, the the key fact in all of this is. Just keep going. You know, if you you have to take a step back from where you are, but you keep going, you're still going. Um, And if you keep going, it will come good. And I think at the moment, this is probably a key, is probably a key terminology at the moment of of the way things are with this coronavirus and everything else is just keep going because we will come out the end of it. But if you, you know, it's, it's, it's like riding into a headwind. If you stop, the headwind will always be there. But if you keep going, you won't be going as fast as you want. It will be harder than you want it to be. But eventually, you'll get to the point of where you turn the corner and the headwind's no longer a headwind. Mm. You, it, I think that, yeah, keep going would be the main bullet point that I would put on there. Um, I think probably the second one would be it'll, it'll be okay. But I always had that kind of mentality that I would be okay. Yeah. I always had it in my mind. I'll, I'll be all right. I'll be, I'll be all right. I just need to get out and get on with it. So keep going. It'll be all right. That's awesome, mate. That's, I love it. And, uh, every answer is always different with every guest, which is why I, I really like asking the question. Um, because it also, it almost uh, for a, a couple of minutes gets the the guests to kind of like tune into themselves as well, um, so it's always really good and it's literally I mean, like it's legit as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, my as I said earlier on, my strap line is one step at a time. Mm. That came four or five years after when I started doing more public speaking and going into schools and businesses and telling my story. I was always kind of, what am I going to call my, what, what do I call my, my talk? What's, what, mm. what is it? And, um, and I kind of reflect with a friend of mine, we were in a car driving back from the London triathlon and we were kind of talking about it and one step at a time, one step at a time, you can achieve anything that you want to one step at a time. You can be, do anything that you want to. It is one step at a time, 
three steps forward and two back is still moving forward. But one step at a time, you can do and be and achieve anything or be whoever you want to be. And that, that's the main thing, really. And I think everybody should remember that. We got to where we are one step at a time. Everything we've done in life, we've done one step at a time. Yeah. That, that, if, you, if you take that forward and you, you use that and you remember it, you know, you're not going to... Anybody, if you look back in history, anybody that's been a huge success very, very quickly has, has struggled to sustain that success. Everybody that's worked hard at it and achieved it one step, one process, one day, one week, one year at a time has maintained that success and has still got that success. Yeah. No, absolutely bang on, mate. It's fantastic. That's awesome. Um, where can people find you uh, if they want to search you on social media? Obviously, uh, we, we met on LinkedIn. Um, are you hanging out on Instagram, Facebook? Yeah, so um, Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn. Um, we have got a website which will be going live any day. Well, early part of next week, I think it's going to go live, um, which is one step at a time. Um, or James Golding. So if you go, if you search James Golding cyclist um, or jamesgolding.org, um, you you will find that website as soon as that goes live. But uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook, but predominantly I use kind of Instagram and Twitter. Brilliant. Um, and I will put all your tags and uh, website addresses and everything else like that, all in the show notes uh, and all over the social media promotions that we do so people can get in touch with you um whether it's to learn a bit more about you or even if they want to engage you for a talk sometime down the line when yeah, we, yeah, can, please, when we please can, do i mean we now, now is a really good time to be kind of um now is a super good time to be getting on board with the social media and following what we're doing we've got yeah. race across America coming up and we're going to be i'm going to be the first british solo rider to win race across america that's Brilliant. that's that's the goal and that's Love that's it. where we go and that's not being cocky that's just having the right mindset about what yeah. we're doing. No, that's amazing, mate. Um, guys and girls, uh, if you didn't take away at least one nugget from James's amazing episode with us on the best version of you today, uh, there's seriously something going wrong. Um, if you need to, play it all back again, get your notepad and pen out, start smashing them goals, take on everything James has said, and you will come out a much better person. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate, to have you on the show. Uh, we've been talking for a while now. I was really keen to get you on and share all that amazing uh, journeys that you've been through. Um, but also just all that, those nuggets of wisdom that you've uh, gained from just the experience you've gone through, but now what you're applying uh, to your future goals uh, is just phenomenal. Uh, and it's exactly why I started this podcast and why I get such great feedback from the guests, you know, like yourself and the things that they share. So uh, massive thanks, mate. It's been a, a huge pleasure. No, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Guys and girls, if you enjoyed this episode, please head over to either Facebook uh, or Instagram. Uh, leave us a review. If you're listening to this on Apple iTunes, please leave us a five-star review. It goes a long way to helping more and more people out there uh, hear people like James's message uh, and to help them. Okay, that's the aim of the show and that's what we want to achieve. So please check it out, leave a review. But from me and James, go out there and be the best version of you.